continue to look faith-wise at Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mountain given by Jesus. We are finishing up the sixth chapter of the sermon. We have the seventh chapter to go into, and it's not quite as long. But uh, today, uh, we'll be looking at worry in particular and how to let go of worries. And this passage we're reading is connected to some of the weeks we've already gone through, right? The sermon today really is focused on the part of the Lord's Prayer that says, you know, this, give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus is going into the ramifications of what it means to pray, Lord, give me today my daily bread. What does that really mean? How can that help us handle our worries? And then on top of that, last week we talked about how God calls us to uh, store up treasure in heaven, not on earth where things will wear down and disappear and uh, be worn out. And so at the end of that, he says, listen, you can't serve God and your stuff. You can't serve God and your money. Either you'll love one and hate the other or you'll work for one and, and you know, despise the other. And, and so in that context too, the, where we start today is in light of the trust and faith we often put in our stuff and in our money, instead, if you want to be free from worry, you need to shift that to a relationship with God, okay? And so that's, that's where he's headed today. So let's dig in, starting in chapter 25 of uh, chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the world and how they grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagan nations, they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, uh, may you teach us, and may we learn, and may we uh, live in your learning in ways that help us let go of our worries. And so, Holy Spirit, come and, and speak your truth into my heart and all our hearts that we may be uh, your people. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Now, if we were to ask you all out there, um, how many of you just this week have had a worry that's kind of been at the top of your mind, right? Things that you've thought about, that you've fretted over, that you've stressed on, right? And perhaps the stress has gotten even so bad that, uh, that you felt almost paralyzed. Like, I don't know, I, that's how I get. As an introvert, maybe, I don't know what it is, but when I get stressed, it's like, oh, I know I need to do this, but I have no idea how to even begin, and I feel so worried, I'm just not even going to start, right? Worry is something that affects all our lives. Um, I looked at a psychologist, and he shared some information that actually for 10% of us, likely 10% of us at least here today, our worries can even kind of almost consume our lives in ways that like paralyze us. And maybe we seek to find an escape, right? Uh, some way to deal with our worries uh, by kind of running away from them. Whatever it is, worry is something that affects all of us as human beings. And Jesus sees that that's mostly not a good thing, right? His one statement there in the 27th verse, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The answer, of course, is no. Literally in the Greek, the Greek phrases it a little differently. The, the original language says, can any of you by your worry add a single cubit to your height? By worrying, can you get taller than you were before? And again, no. No, we can't. The only good thing worry does is it tells us something is wrong, something we're stressed about. Once we get to that place, it usually doesn't accomplish anything else of good. And so Jesus today wants to help you and me handle our worries. And that's good news because I don't know about you, but I also find myself worried about stuff. Church stuff and family stuff and life stuff and school stuff. So I need this as much as any of us. That Jesus, how can you help us in our worries? And so Jesus deals in particular with worries over uh, food issues. Uh, food, water, hunger issues, clothing issues, kind of the basic necessities of life. And as I mentioned, the previous passage kind of prepares us for this and says, listen, a lot of us, we love to depend on the stuff we have. We depend on the food in our pantry, the cash in our bank. We depend on all this stuff to such degree, um, and we worry about it. And so he challenges us today, whether it's basic worries or other worries, to instead of putting our faith in our money, in our things, we really are called to shift and put our faith in the God who made us and loves us. So how do we do that? What is he encouraging us to do that'll help us let go of our worries? And, and then really the first step that he kind of calls us to is to give thanks for the gifts God has already given you. Give thanks for the gifts God has already given you. If you do that, that's your first antidote to worry. And so what gifts had God already given us? Well, God has given us life. You were able to show up today. You were able to come to church today. You're able to be here. And that's a gift. 
In the Greek, again, that word life is literally your soul. God has given you your soul as a gift to make you uniquely who you are in this world. And it's a unique part of you that we also know can go beyond this world to receive a new eternal body one day and live in the kingdom of heaven. And so the gift of life, the gift of who we are, is priceless. It's worth a lot. And so that's one of our gifts. The second gift we have is the gift of our body. We were given in this world where a soul that was given a body to dwell in, a, what a Peter, excuse me, Paul calls a tent. We have the tent of our body and God gives it to us in this life. And that's also a great gift that the body allows us to think about things and to do things with our hands and feet and to develop skills and talents and abilities that can help us labor and work in ways that make a difference for our family and for others around us. These things are the core gifts that Jesus lists. And he says, listen, if God loves you enough to give you a life and loves you enough to, to make you a soul and cares for you enough to give you a body then don't you think that he would care enough to give you what you need on a daily basis to take care of that gift of a body and a soul? And so he then takes a look and helps us compare this with other things we see in our world, right? He compares it, God's eye is on the sparrow. And that wonderful hymn, um, he says, think about the birds of the air. The birds that fly around, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't know how to farm. They don't know how to, uh, how to store away food for later. They are dependent on God day after day after day to find what they need to live. And if you notice, God takes care of the birds. We still have birds all around with their beautiful singing and chirping, birds that we keep an eye on, the hummingbirds on our back porches. All these things, God says, if God feeds the birds daily, when they can't do anything to earn it except look for it on that very day, then we as well ought to be able to trust that God will take care of the food and the drinks we need too. Because ultimately, we are more valuable than the birds. You are a person of great value. And so you can trust God to provide for you. You don't have to worry. And if that's the case, as well as the flowers, right? He talks about the flowers of the field and how they grow and how glorious they can be in spring in our yards, um, how beautiful they are. And he says, these flowers, they're dressed more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory. Not only that, they're dressed, they're dressed better than all the actors and actresses who come out on Oscar night with those $1,000 dresses that look like there's barely anything on them, right? Or the tuxedos. If God can make the flowers that we have in our lives so glorious and clothe them so well, why do we get worried? about what we need 
food or clothing-wise. God will take care of us. He says, oh, you of little faith, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And so here's kind of the next principle. One, you've been given great gifts already. You've been given a life. You've been given a body. And if God gives you those gifts, then we can trust as a loving, good, good father that he will take care of what he's given life to. And so we can have faith. Again, this is expanding the Lord's Prayer. What does it mean when we pray, God, give me today my daily bread? And if we think God's not going to close us, all we got to go back to the very first story of Adam and Eve, right? They had sinned. They'd broken God's law. They'd been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. What does God do? He doesn't get mad at them. Instead, he gives them clothes with the first animal sacrifice. And when the children of Israel, they were in the desert and there was nothing around to feed their cattle and their donkeys and they had nothing to drink themselves and they would moan and they would cry and they would, oh God, pity us, woe is me. You know, they'd do that for 40 years and all along the way, God would give them their daily bread so that they would learn that they could not have to worry but trust him. And so ultimately, God knows what we need. He knows what our body needs, and we can have faith. And so instead of worry, we're to develop a place of deep trust. And the ultimate trust, I think, that he points out is that you are loved by God. You're more valuable than the beautiful birds that we enjoy so much in our lives. You're more valuable than the flowers that we put on our tables for dinner and enjoy and they make their house brighter and more glorious. You are much more valuable. And in that worth, we are to find faith that God will watch out for us. And so I want to kind of give you an example of, of how valuable you are to God can make a tremendous difference in your life as it made a tremendous difference in this fellow's life that I'm going to share with you today. Um, this is a story from Fred Craddock. Fred taught preaching at Candler and was one of the great preachers of the 20th century. He died uh, a handful of years ago. Um, this is probably one of the greatest Fred Craddock stories that some, some of you maybe have already heard it before, but I'm going to share it again because it's just, it's a great story. Uh, Fred and his wife, Nettie, were going on vacation in the Smoky Mountains. He says they'd returned from Oklahoma to one of our favorite vacation spots in the Smoky Mountains. We were at dinner in a restaurant out from Gatlinburg near a small community of Cosby. We were in a rather new restaurant called the Black Bear Inn. I don't know if it's still there or not, but, but maybe it made it. It was very attractive and had an excellent view of the mountains. And so early in the meal, an elderly man approached our table and said, Good evening. And I said, good evening. He said, are you on vacation? I said, yes. But under my breath, I was saying, it's really none of your business. Where are you from, he asked. We're from Oklahoma. What do you do in Oklahoma? Under my breath, but almost audible, I was saying, leave us alone. We're on vacation. 
and we don't know who you are. But I said, well, I'm a Christian minister. He said, what church? I said, the Christian church. He paused a moment and said, I owe a great deal to a minister of the Christian church. And he pulled out a chair and sat down. I said, yes, have a seat. I tried to make it seem like I sincerely meant it, but I didn't. Who is this person? I said, I grew up in the, I grew, he said, I grew up in these mountains. My mother was not married and the whole community knew it. I was what was called an illegitimate child. In those days, that was a shame and I was ashamed. The reproach that fell on her, of course, fell also on me. And so when I went into town with her, I could see people staring at me, making guesses as to who was my father. At school, the children said ugly things to me, so I said to stay to myself during recess, and I ate my lunch alone. In my early teens, I began to attend a little church back in the mountains called Laurel Springs Christian Church. It had a minister who was both attractive and frightening. He had a chiseled face and a heavy beard and a deep voice. And I went to hear him preach. I don't know exactly why, but it did something for me. However, I was afraid that I was not welcome since I was, as they put it, a bastard. So I'd go just in time for the sermon, and when it was over, I would move out because I was afraid that someone would say, what's a boy like you doing in a church? One Sunday, some people queued up before the aisle before I could get out, and I was stopped. Before I could make my way through the group, I felt a hand on my shoulder, a heavy hand. It was that minister. I cut my eyes around, caught a glimpse of his beard and his chin, and I knew who it was, and I trembled in fear. He turned his face around so he could see mine and seemed to be staring for a little while. I knew what he was doing. He was going to make a guess as to who my father was. A moment later, he said, Well, boy, you're a child of... And he paused there. And I knew it was coming. I knew I would have my feelings hurt. I knew I would not go back again. And he said, Boy, you're a child of God. I see a striking resemblance, boy. And then he swatted me on the bottom and said, Now, go claim your inheritance. I left the building a different person. In fact, that was really the beginning of my life. I was so moved by the story, I had to ask him, what's your name? And he said, Ben Hooper. And I recalled, though vaguely, my own father talking when I was just a child about how the people of Tennessee had twice elected as governor a bastard, Ben Hooper. In the story today, Jesus reminds us God is good. 
oh, so good. He is a good father. He knows what we need. And we are precious to him. We're a child of God. Whether we feel like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we are. Now we're to go claim our inheritance. As we claim our inheritance, if we can let anything go, we should be able to let our worries go and trust that the God who's given us life in this body will take care of it. He'll give us our daily bread. And so he also encourages us to do two things. If we're to have faith in God like that, to trust him and to lay down our worries, then we've got to, again, we've got to have a shift not only in our thinking, we have to have a shift in how we live, right? And so he says with this shift, seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness, and then all these other things will be given you as well. So if we are to have the faith to let go of our worries, that starts with reframing our priorities. If we will shift our priority so that stuff is not first, so that money is not first, so that, uh, so that our worries are not first place. Instead, if we put the kingdom of God first. And if we put God's righteousness, that is trying to live life as close as we can by God's grace to his right doing and right being. If we make our relationship with him first and primary, if we keep that as our anchor for our lives, then God will take care of the rest. And we won't have to worry. We'll just be able to trust him that he's with us. And so we seek first his kingdom today. That's what it means to be a disciple, is someone who yearns and longs for the kingdom of God. And the way we do that is by letting him be in charge of all. By saying, Lord, uh, my eyes that see you, um, I give my eyes to you. I give my hands to you, the things I do with work and with labor. I give those to you. I give my mind to you and what it thinks and what it wrestles with. I give my family to you and my children. I give my checkbook to you and I will write and give it away however you see fit. If you call me to be generous, then I will trust you that I can be generous and that I'm not going to run out, but you're still going to take care of my daily bread. That in all areas of life, I will trust you and I won't have to worry. And so as we do that, Jesus gives one more principle, and that's the daily bread principle, and that is we are to encourage to live in the moment. Live in the moment. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. So if you've got things coming up that you're stressed about, just let it go. It's not going to help. Instead, live in the moment. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you wake up in the morning and you make it through the day and you are able to lay your head in bed at night, then give thanks because God has given you what you needed today. And that's enough. And then you can trust as you wake up the next day that God will give you enough again 
of what you need on that day so that you can lay your head down again at night and it'll be enough. So he encourages us, let go of the future uncertainties, the future challenges, the future stresses, and just trust that if God will see me through today and give me what I need, that'll be enough. And so um, with this today is what we seek to do as well, how we seek to live. Um, and, and I know for me, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's good to kind of look for mentors with this. And so a real quick mentor, I think, is George Mueller. George Mueller had this kind of amazing spiritual life and amazing faith. And if any of you know, you know George Mueller ran the, uh, he, he ran, gosh, a home like Murphy Harps for kids, uh, orphanage. And they would wake up without food, and he wouldn't worry about it. He'd just get up in that morning as they gather around the breakfast table. He said, thank you, God because we don't have any food in our pantry today, so we look forward to seeing where you're going to bring us our food, right? And then the milk band would come to the door and said, I, I can't deliver my milk. My, my, uh, my ox has come up lame. Will you take our milk? And the baker comes up and says, here's a bunch of bread. The Lord laid it on my heart to break, bake some bread for the children today, so here, have this bread. And he would just do that his whole life, right? George Mueller was the kind of guy, he, would, uh, he was coming to America on a ship, right? And the ship had had been uh, surrounded by a dense fog. And uh, so he goes up to the captain and says to the captain, Captain, I've got to be in America by, you know, two days from now. Um, and the captain says, well, there's nothing I can do. We're in this dense fog, and it's not going anywhere, and so we're stuck. We, we you know, we, we're probably not going to get to America in time for your appointment. And he said, no, we're getting to America in time for my appointment let's go down and pray. And so they went down in the hall and they started praying. And he told, he told the captain, well, captain, I, I'm not even going to ask you to pray because, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I know you don't have the faith yet to, to believe that God will do it. But he said, Lord, you know I've got an appointment in America in, a, in three days and I need to be in America. So lift this fog and let us be on our way. And they came up and the fog was beginning to dissipate and disappeared. And George Mueller was in America when he needed to be. Uh, George Mueller, more than about any other person, um, had the kind of kingdom faith that I want to have. And, and maybe you do too. I, I close with an example of this. Uh, how does this work practically? Because I've been at preacher school this week, and in preacher school we were talking about sort of our own spiritual care as pastors. How one of the leading things today is preachers are getting burned out, and they're giving up, and they're leaving, and, and I can relate to that with just everything we've been through with COVID and, and all the other stuff going on, right? Um, and so it was a lot on self-care. And, and so one of the things with this, I think that I'm learning is, is one way to notice when we need to do something is to be sensitive to our bodies, right? Because our body um, sucks in our stress. And our body sucks in our worries and our body sucks in our struggles, right? And so it shows up in your gut and it shows up maybe with a headache and it may show up by not being able to sleep very well at night or it may show up by having bad dreams at night on a regular basis for, you know, and if all that's kind of going on, that's your body saying to you, we're not in a healthy place. We're too worried about whatever's going on in life. 
And so that is to be, should be a trigger for us, right, to begin applying this passage to our lives and saying, Lord, help me let this stress in my body go. And so over the course of our week uh, at pastor school, we were doing a lot of breathing exercises as a tool for that, right? Will you breathe deeply in through your nose? You'll hold it for seven seconds, and then you let it out eight seconds. So we were doing this all week long, you know, for three days. Breathe in through your nose. And so those are one of the things that begins to help our body release tension, right? It's a kind of a practical, modern application. The Bible doesn't talk anything about it, but I think it's a tool we can use for the glory of God, right? A second thing, one of the ladies that came and talked to us, she'd been through a massive depression, spent, spent like a year in bed and two years barely out of bed. Um, and she came and talked to us as well, and she's... The other thing she invited us to do is this. She said, put your hands together up front. So we put our hands together up front, and she said this. She said, tell the Lord, uh, Lord, today I am ready to receive all the love you have for me this day, and I'm ready to give all the love you want me to give this day, in this moment. Even though I don't feel like it right now, I'm ready to receive all the love you have for me. I'm ready to give it all away. And so those are just some basic kind of body principles, right? To, uh, to in our prayers, in our breath prayers, when we breathe in, we're breathing in God's love. We're breathing in, I am your child. We're breathing in, you say I am precious. We're breathing in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And then when we breathe out, when we, we're letting our, our tension go out of that breath. We're letting our stress go out of that breath. We're letting our fears go out of that breath, right? And so as we practice these principles, we're trying to get our body to a place where we can say, God, you love me, and you have the best for me, and I trust you once again. So those are some things that, that I want to share with you today. Maybe those will help you. I hope they'll help me. I'm going to be trying them more, I think, in the days ahead. Because one thing I know is I don't like being a person who worries. Do you? So let's learn to seek God's kingdom first and to let the worries go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, as I said, we know after going through COVID and all we've been through, a lot of people are in a lot of stressful places and angry places, and worried places, and fearful places. It used to, it might affect one out of ten of us. Now it may be two or three out of ten. And Lord, we need this word. With all the challenges before us, and all the uncertainties, and things we don't know about the future, we trust you that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Lord, instead, we're focused on doing our best to seek you today to trust you today, to make you a priority today. As we live in this moment, Lord, we thank you. For you are a God who provides.